This is a Technicom podcast. There is a digital transformation all around us. We know this from news reports, but even more so, we know this because we are a part of it. How many of your daily activities are done on your computer or mobile telephone? So what about the big picture, like treating cancer in children? How has this changed for the better in our digital world? I'm Peter Balland from Technicon, and today we explore this very topic with Davita Charillo from the IPC Project. He represents the Barcelona Supercomputing Center, a partner in IPC, which, by the way, stands for Individualized Pediatric Cure. Doctors, clinicians, oncologists, biomedical engineers, and computer scientists are working together in IPC to use data, human samples, and artificial intelligence to tailor treatments for kids while minimizing the risks. Let's have a listen. Thanks, Davide, for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. First, let's look at what IPC is trying to do. But frame your answer around this quote, and this is from the IPC webpage. The future of pediatric cancer treatment is in personalization. Yes. So in this in this sentence, there are two words that uh, really stands out and uh, and really like summarize very well the the goals of the IPC projects. And those words are personalization and future. So in the health domain, by personalization, we generally refer to uh, personalized medicine, and uh, which is a medical paradigm uh, centered around the patient. So in order to deliver better therapeutic strategies and uh, preventive solutions. So uh, have you ever noticed that if you have two patients that uh, have been diagnosed with the same uh, condition and you give exactly the same treatment to them, the outcome uh, of this treatment will be different. So uh, maybe like in in one uh, of the two people that the drug is used is working very well, but the other is maybe not working uh, very much. So the reason behind this is that the variability in the human population is uh, is huge. So we are very different one from each other. And uh, the personalized medicine approach is actually looking for those differences in order to provide um, better uh, therapies, better diagnostic uh, uh, solutions. Uh, so looking for individual information, like, for instance, demographic characteristics like age, sex, ethnicity, uh, the clinical history, maybe previous diseases, genetic factors like uh, mutations, and also the socioeconomic context, like, for instance, the, I don't know, the, the environmental conditions in, uh, in which the person lives or the psychosocial factors. And so this is about personalization. And then we have the, the future of pediatric cancer. Uh, and uh, and in, again, in the health domain, when we talk about the future of uh, biomedical research, we refer to the applications of artificial intelligence. And um, we are witnessing uh, a digital transformation of healthcare, but I would say like a digital transformation of our lives in general. So we have artificial intelligence algorithms embedded in uh, uh, all the devices that we are using from our smartwatches to uh, the uh, mobile phones. Uh, We have algorithms that are able to recommend us products 
based on our tastes and preferences, for instance, in Amazon or uh, videos on, on YouTube and stuff like that. So in, the, in, the, in, in biomedicine and in particular in, uh, in pediatric cancer research, we are trying to, uh, to, to work with those artificial intelligence systems in order to realize this personalized medicine uh, approach and to use those algorithms and create those, uh, those models in order to, to, to provide a better health uh, service. I see. So we could almost say that this is using our digital world to sort of um, connect with the world of cancer research or maybe even medicine in general for better outcomes so that in this case, children don't have to suffer with treatments that don't necessarily work. Exactly. Okay. So then um, we have to ask the question, what's the role of Barcelona Supercomputing Center in IPC? Yes, so uh, the Barcelona Supercomputing Center uh, is the national supercomputing center in Spain, and uh, we are experts in uh, uh, HPC, which stands for High Performance Computing, and uh, which is basically the use of uh, computational resources with a high level of uh, parallelism and uh, scalability. And one of those resources, the, 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 the bigger one, is uh, called Mare Nostrum 4, uh, that is a supercomputer that we host. Just to give you an idea, uh, this uh, the, the peak performance of this supercomputer is almost 14 petaflops, which corresponds to more than 13,000 trillion operations per second. So this is like a big machine that is really able to run fast <laughs> wow. uh, programs. Yeah. And uh, so this is Marinostrum 4, that, uh, but the Barcelona Supercomputing Center will soon host the Marinostrum 5, which is uh, one of the three so-called pre-exascale supercomputers selected in 2019 by the, uh, an initiative that is called Euro HPC. And so do you remember the peak performance of almost uh, 14 petaflops of Marinostrum 4? Well, in Marinostrum 5, this will become uh, 200 petaflops. So this, <laughs> like this machine is growing. Yes. Oh, wow. So um, yes, this is, uh, this is what we do. We, we use uh, those computational resources in order to provide these HPC um, resources to different communities and to generate knowledge in, uh, in different areas, such as, for instance, engineering, climatology, and of course, life sciences. So our role in uh, um, the role of, of BSC in IPC is to develop research in artificial intelligence using these uh, HPC resources and provide, of course, the computational infrastructure required for such a big project. Mm -hmm. You're using artificial intelligence then um, for in IPC. And I think many people might not understand that and they might immediately jump to the fact that they think that there are ethical issues associated with this. How is that dealt with in IPC? Or is that even the case? It's, it, it definitely is the case uh, for many reasons, and uh, not only for the aspects related to artificial intelligence, but uh, also those. So um, in general, ethics is uh, fundamental to the project, IPC, and, uh, and as I said, like in general, to the applications of artificial intelligence to health. So the, the, the issue is that uh, thinking of a form of medicine that goes hand in hand with artificial intelligence is uh, fueling a very strong debate uh, nowadays. So there are some opinions, for instance, on a possible dystopic future for healthcare, where you know machines take over uh, the doctors' jobs and uh, things like that. 
But actually, like the most likely scenario for the next uh, decades is um, is actually an increased and flourishing human-machine interaction where a human doctor will be accountable for any decision about a patient without a direct, uh, and in particular, without an unauthorized intervention of uh, any machine. So yes, the ethical aspects are uh, crucial uh, to, to this type of, of projects. And BSC has a dedicated resources to, to ethics in, uh, in the project. And uh, we also participated in the many workshops devoted to these uh, themes organized by, by the consortium. Then there are uh, like an important aspect that is more related to the actual uh, development of artificial intelligence uh, uh, is that uh, all the data that we can use to train artificial intelligence systems can be also be extremely biased towards certain groups. So we really have to be careful that we are not excluding that, that the data that we are using is not like excluding underserved groups and minorities and uh, and you know situations of, of this kind. Biases can be hidden uh, in all the steps of the life cycle of, of the artificial intelligence development. For instance, we can have uh, historical biases uh, uh, in the documents and data that can retain cultural aspects, beliefs, stereotypes. We can have uh, representation biases. If we like select a specific group of patients, excluding others, uh, we can have uh, biases in the in the way the values and the parameters of the data that we are collecting are measured, and uh, and we can have even biases in the way the the those systems are evaluated and, and finally deployed in the real world. No, because you can release a model, but uh, depending where you are deploying this system, who is going to use it you can create a bias also there. So it's really like a complex um, landscape of, uh, uh, of biases and you know, issues that we really have to be very careful to address when we start an artificial intelligence-based project like, uh, like IPC, for instance. Yeah, and it seems like ethics is, is a really necessary part of the framework in a project like this. Yes. So in many existing personalized treatment plants for cancer, um, large data sets are used to help inform clinicians about treatment plans. Um, why is this not the case when examining the pediatric patient population? And what does IPC propose to do about this? Yes, so the the, the main uh, um, conundrum here is that uh, many pediatric tumors are uh, rare. And uh, so a rare disease, uh, by definition, affects a small number of individuals compared to the general population. And so as a consequence, the data sets that, uh, that, we, that we have uh, are characterized by being of small sizes. And, um, and so like, we have like, few data points, and, and these limit our ability to be statistically confident about uh, any finding that, that we might identify in our, in our research. So one solution to overcome this limitation is to augment the data uh, by generating uh, synthetic instances. And so indeed, BSC is very much involved in this aspect. This is a very advanced application of artificial intelligence for synthetic data generation. And, um, and this is an emerging um, dominant AI solutions for personalized medicine. Uh, since it enables to address those type of challenges, uh, uh, so for instance, creating you know the, the data volumes that are needed to deliver 
accurate results and, and also like correcting for possible biases as we were discussing before uh, and also complying with increasingly restrictive privacy regulations. So, and this is of course very much relevant for pediatric cancer research. I'm talking about privacy here because you have to imagine that when you are creating a synthetic version of, of a patient, you are kind of detaching from uh, the real person. No? So you can then work on, the, on this digital twin and you can, uh, uh, for instance, uh, test different perturbations. You can see like if a drug is actually working or not working, but without doing this on the real patient, but only like in a virtual environment in, inside a computer. So this is, this is like the main idea and this is like a, the main advantage of, uh, of synthetic data generation. Um, at, at, regarding to this, uh, there is an entire field of research that is uh, working on, uh, uh, on this particular area. And this is because um, synthetic data generation uses uh, uh, mainly deep learning nowadays. And the problem with deep learning is that uh, uh, this is something called uh, like a black box. No? We, uh, we hear more and more about this, uh, this term. And a black box is basically a system in which like the, the, all the complexities and the non-linearities no, that, that are used to model the, the data are not intelligible to humans. And, um, and so there is a lot of research focusing on uh, the explainability of those systems, the explainability of artificial intelligence, which basically means how to convert a black box into a white box. So something that we can actually understand, like we like the mechanism behind the, the learning process and behind the algorithm, we can really see what is going on and why the machine uh, reached a certain solution, a certain outcome. I see. So. It's not just about the machine making a decision. You also have to understand why it made a decision. Exactly. And when we talk about data and the lack of data, I, I, I'm guessing that um, besides data just not being there because there aren't so many um, cases because pediatric cancer is rare, um, uh, in the cases where there is data, it, it may be protected and difficult to access, perhaps due to the laws that protect minors to a greater extent than adults. Yes, exactly. We also have to consider this. So we are talking about children. And of course, in this case, um, the, the regulation is much stricter. And I mean, this is, this is understandable. And of course, it's completely right. The, the one, one of the main issues most of the time, and this is not just related to pediatric cancer research, but in general, is, uh, is that those regulations are very strict on uh, data access and, and, and the management of, uh, of sensible uh, data. Also for the people that are working with, uh, with this data. So it's generally very difficult to, you know, to, to share, for instance, the data among different hospitals or among different uh, research institutes. And um, so in my opinion, personally speaking, I, I think that uh, creating a safe environment for data sharing is crucial to, to advance research in this field. So all the regulation is, is okay. We all agree that, that they are right and they must be there. But we also have to guarantee that, you know, the researchers can actually work. So there are some solutions to this, in particular in the artificial intelligence area. Uh, one of them is called federated learning. 
So basically, imagine that you have uh, many different hospitals in different countries, and, uh, and each hospital has its own uh, constraints to data sharing. So instead of bringing the data to a centralized place, what Federated Learning proposes is to bring the models in situ. So train the artificial intelligence system inside the hospital and share only the parameters that have been learned during this local training. So in this way, basically, you can like train a general model that is accounting for all the data that is, is stays like in the in the periphery, stay in those uh, places, and and doesn't move. But still, you can learn from uh, from uh, from it. So previously, you mentioned in IPC the virtual patient or the digital twin, and and this is used um, to test treatments while preventing any harm. To any humans, tell us more about this. Yes, a, a digital twin is a is a synthetic version of some characteristics of, of a patient. So, I think it's important to to say that uh, when we say digital twin, we we, we do not mean like a, a digital physical version of a person. You know, this is what probably most of people think when you say <laughs> digital twin. No? Uh, what we are what we are simulating are specific characteristics so the scale is important because we can simulate you know the macroscopic or the microscopic and so and there are different modeling approaches depending on uh, on the scale that is more adequate to the things that you are the one you want to study so we can reproduce multicellular systems like for instance pieces of tissue uh, using coarse grained simulations with a lower resolution, or we can go much more finer and we can, for instance, reproduce the expression levels of the genes that are sitting on the DNA of a patient with a very high resolution. So no matter the scale, uh, all the time what we can do is basically to test what-if scenarios. So again, if we, if we have, like, if we can reproduce, if we can simulate something we can then test, perturbate, and, and see what is the effect inside a computer and, and not inside a real patient. So if you look ahead a bit, um, what is the best outcome for IPC? And I mean, not only from the domain of science and medicine, but also from the side of pediatric patients and their families. Yes. So the, the best outcomes for IPC would be, first of all, to generate knowledge about the pediatric tumors that uh, are under study, especially because most of them uh, present many unanswered questions and aspects that need to be further studied. So this is um, an important aspect of this, uh, of this project that is fostering you know, the research in specific pediatric tumors. Then uh, uh, is to provide an infrastructure where all the data and the tools that have been created uh, can be accessed in a secure and privacy-preserving environment and also reused for other, other pediatric tumors and also other rare diseases as well. And finally, to, to find the theoretical but also practical solutions to technological limitations that are related to the typical scenarios of personalized medicine applications or artificial intelligence. And we talked about that before, like, for instance, the small size data sets or the explainability of the black box uh, models. So all those uh, are uh, definitely would be the best outcomes that we can have from a project like IPC. 
Okay, well, it sounds like IPC is a really important project for making inroads into research and treatment options when it comes to pediatric cancer. And I want to say thank you for taking some time with us today and sharing your knowledge in the project and how it works. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure. For more information about IPC, go to ipc-project.eu. The IPC project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Program under grant agreement number 826121.